Morning, church. How's everybody doing? Thanks for joining us today. We're in a series called Last Words. Last Words. And we're looking at the last words of Jesus. Jesus made seven statements when he was hanging on the cross. Seven statements while he was dying. Seven statements that were 55 words. And we're looking at those seven statements leading into Easter in April. We are looking at one statement a week. So those statements were made on a Friday. It's called Good Friday, the Friday that Jesus died. The first statement we looked at was about forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The second statement was about grace. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The third statement today is about family. It's about relationships. In this series, we've heard Jesus pray for the crowd. We've heard Jesus pray for a criminal. And now Jesus is going to speak to his mother. Here is the third statement on the cross. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, behold your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So I want to notice three groups, three individuals, three things today. The first is, I want you to notice the role of the executioner. You know, when you were in middle school or high school and they would have you fill out a, a uh, career interest uh, survey, I don't ever remember seeing a box, executioner. It's not like it's something people aspire to, but someone has to do it. Someone has to execute. Someone has to drop the blade of the guillotine. Someone has to put the needle into the body. Someone has to turn on the gas. Someone has to be in the firing squad. Someone has to crucify the criminals. Actually, there were some ones at the cross that day. A Roman execution squad consisted of five people. Five people. One was the centurion who gave the orders. And then the other four soldiers actually did the executing and the crucifying. They were the ones that put the person on the cross, that nailed the person to the cross, that drove the nails, that raised that cross, that body up. They're the ones that made sure the crucified person died. They're the ones that pierced the side. They're the ones that broke the legs. And they're the ones that when the body was dead, they took the cross down and removed that body. And one of the benefits of being an executioner, as, as odd as that sounds, one of the benefits is you got to keep the clothes of the crucified man. Now, check this out. A Jewish man usually had five items of clothing. A turban, some kind of headcloth. A pair of shoes, more like sandals. An outer robe that went from the neck all the way down to the ankles a girdle or a belt to tie up that robe. And then there was the undergarment or the tunic. Here's what we read. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into, there's our four people, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, 
they said to one another, let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. So that is your four soldiers who executed Jesus. One got the turban, the head cloth. One got the sandals. One got the girdle or the belt. And one got the outer robe, which leaves us with the fifth. Four soldiers, five pieces of clothing. There's the undergarment, that fifth item, the, the tunic. And as Scripture says, it was seamless. It was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Again, four soldiers... Five pieces of clothing, to tear it into four pieces would have rendered it of no value. So they gambled for it. It was Jewish custom that when a Jewish male reached adulthood, his mother would make him a tunic, an and, and undergarment. It was an item of clothing that he would wear his entire life. It was an item of clothing that would remind him of home. It's also interesting to note that only the high priest wore a garment that was seamless. Which is interesting to note because the Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus is our high priest. So it wasn't out of character for Jesus to have an undergarment that was seamless. That, that was the tunic of Jesus. So John's not just giving us a description of the clothing of Jesus being seamless. He's giving us a description of his role as our high priest. These four soldiers considered this seamless tunic, and rather than rip it up, they gambled for it. To show their indifference while Jesus is dying on the cross, they gambled for it. Jesus is in agony on the cross, and at the foot of the cross, they're gambling, they're casting lots for that undergarment, for the one that his mother made him as his mother watched. They certainly didn't know they were fulfilling Scripture. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But that was their role. That was their role as executioner. And that's what they were hired to do. They were hired to execute and hired to take and hired to divide and hired to gamble. That was their role. I want you to notice this, the second person, and that would be the mother of Jesus. When you consider all the reasons for Jesus to come down from the cross, to come down off the cross, maybe for his disciples, maybe for the followers, maybe for those who were even mocking him, maybe for the criminal that made a request... No one person gave Jesus more reason to come down from the cross than his mother. And no one person gave him reason to stay up there than his mother. I mean, can, can you just try to put yourself in her shoes that day? Can you just try to imagine, and we don't know, what could possibly be going through her mind that day? I mean, maybe her mind went back to the day that that she was told that she was pregnant. It wasn't just another pregnancy. It wasn't just another child to be born. It wasn't just another birth announcement. Maybe she's remembering that day when an angel came to her and said, you'll be with child and give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Maybe that's where her mind went. 
Maybe her mind went back to the nine months of pregnancy and she remembered all of the gossip, all of the rumors, all of the looks. Maybe her mind went back to the actual birth of Jesus when they went into town and there's no room in the inn and Jesus had to be born. They placed Him in a manger. Maybe her mind went back to the time in the temple when they went to the temple for the first time and a man named Simeon came up and he said that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Christ. And then he praised God for the infant Jesus. Maybe her mind went back to the time he was growing up. I mean, who will his friends be? Will he even have friends? Will he be healthy? Will he have a normal childhood? Maybe her mind went back to the time when Jesus was 12 and they were at the temple and the caravan headed home and they realized, we don't have Jesus. And they didn't know where he was. And they go back and they find him in the temple courts. And he's sitting among the teachers. And he's teaching the teachers at age 12. She's listened to the gossip his entire life. He thinks he's the son of God. She has no doubt listened to the death threats of those who have wanted to kill Jesus. You know, it's no easy task being the mother of Jesus. And on this day, this day of crucifixion, this day when her son is dying, I just wanted to remind you that the mother of Jesus is there and she's watching She's not watching the death of a hero. She's watching the death of a criminal placed between two criminals, as we looked at last week. And she watched. Because that's all she could do, is watch. She can't wipe his sweat. She can't wipe his wounds. She can't wipe his blood. She can't embrace. She watched. She watched and looked up and watched her son die. And maybe she noticed the sign. When Jesus saw his mother there and disciple who he had, sorry, Pilate had noticed prepared, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read that sign. I don't know if you've thought about that. Jesus of Nazareth. It doesn't say Jesus, son of Joseph, which he wasn't. But it was almost a slap in the face because all of the Jews who are looking up, it, it's almost a slap in the face to say, your, your king is an illegitimate son. He's not the son of Joseph. I'm not surprised that Mary was there that day, are you? I mean, Jesus is the son of God, but Jesus is the son of Mary, and she was there that day, and... I don't say that so you can idolize Mary in any way. I say that just to remind you that his mother was there. And maybe today, maybe as she's watching her son die, maybe, maybe she's thinking, who's going to take care of me? Which takes us to the third person. I want you to notice the responsibility of a son. The responsibility of a son. Almost as if Jesus knows what she might be thinking. He pulls himself up and he draws another breath. And he says, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple, behold your mother. Even on the cross, we've been saying this, even on the cross, Jesus remembers his purpose, his mission, and his responsibility. As he looks down at his mother, he knows he has a responsibility as a child. And tradition tells us that Joseph has already died. 
And with Jesus being the oldest, he has been providing for the family. Joseph, if you remember, was a carpenter, so Jesus had a trade. And as the oldest son, he's been taking care of his mother. And at this moment, he looks down. He looks down and he speaks to his mother. In his first statement, he speaks to the crowd and says, Father, forgive them. And we would expect him to say that. And in his second statement, he speaks to the criminal and says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And we would expect Jesus to say something like that. And even in this third statement, when when he speaks to his mother, he's still not thinking about himself. He's thinking about others. He's still thinking about others. And with this statement, he's not thinking about sinners. He's not thinking about forgiveness. He's thinking about his responsibility as a son and caring for his family. No doubt Jesus knew the commandment, honor your father and mother. And in his dying hour, in this dying moment, Jesus stops long enough to pull himself up and make this third statement. And he looks down and he sees the disciple he loves and he sees his mother and no doubt he sees the pain his mother is in and it pains him to see her pain and he pulls himself up with his wrist and he pulls himself up with his feet and he draws another breath and he says woman behold your son Joseph is not there from what we can tell his brothers aren't there but John's there John may be the only disciple who who is there. John's the only disciple at the cross. He's the only one who risked being there. He's the only one who puts his life in danger. And Jesus says, woman, behold your son. And I want you to consider this. I, I don't think Jesus is directing her attention to him. Hey, mom, look at me. Woman, behold your son. She's been beholding him and her eyes have been gazed on him. I I think knowing his responsibility, he sees the disciple that he loves and he says, Woman, behold your son. Think about that. This man will now be your son. This man will now take care of you. This man will make sure you have everything. This man will be my substitute. And then he tells John, Behold your mother. So he's taking care of his responsibility. In essence, he's saying, Mom, woman, behold your son. And to the disciple he loved, to John, behold your mother. He's telling John, I want you to watch over my mom. He's telling John, I want you to take care of my mom. He's telling John, I want you to be my substitute, which is interesting because Jesus on the cross is our substitute. And he's taking care of us. And he's taking care of our needs and he's taking care of our sins. And yet, at this moment, he looks down to John and says, I I need you to be my substitute and I need you to take care of my mom. And scripture says, from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus can no longer care for his mom, can no longer embrace his mom, can no longer hold his mother. And he says, John... John, will you be my substitute? Will you take my place? And with this third statement from the cross, we, we learn so much about caring for family. Caring for family. The cross tells us not to neglect family. I mean, if there was ever a time that Jesus could ignore that, forget that, not be aware of that, even dying on the cross... Jesus wants us to know that caring for family is important. It's not spiritual 
to neglect your family. In fact, the most spiritual thing you can do, illustrated by Jesus on the cross, is to care for your family. The fifth commandment, again, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The New Testament has much, much, much stronger words than that. In 1 Timothy, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever. Because unbelievers even take care of their families. Those are are strong words. But again, Jesus practiced what He preached, even hanging on the cross. Which tells me if you're neglecting the care of your parents or your family, you're, you're worse than an unbeliever. Put your religion into practice. Oh, you can come here every Sunday. You can go through the motions. But if we're not going to care for family, we're worse than an unbeliever. Jesus had strong words to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Remember, they got on to Him for breaking tradition. Hey, Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands before, before they eat? Tradition. And Jesus turned it on them and quoted Scripture, not tradition. And He said, you're neglecting the care of your parents, which is important. According to 1 Timothy 5, the work of the Lord is to provide for your parents. So, here's your homework assignment this week from the third statement from the cross. I I don't know about your family, and I don't know the relationship in your family, and I don't know the relationship with your parents, and I I don't know the relationship with your immediate family. I I don't know. It, it, It may be miserable, awful. Maybe your upbringing was awful. Maybe your parents were awful. Maybe if I say family, you just start to cringe thinking, I'm not doing that. Put your religion into practice. And care for your family. Richie, I, I, I can't do that. Okay, go back to the first statement from the cross. Forgiveness. That can apply to family. Maybe you need to offer or initiate forgiveness with someone in your family. Maybe your parents. Maybe a sibling. Go to the second statement. Grace. Maybe you need to offer some grace to someone in your family. Well, Richie, they've never offered me forgiveness and they've never offered me any grace. As Jesus makes those statements on the cross, those statements, none of those people ask for forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Maybe your family doesn't know what they're doing. Listen, I know this might be tough words. Because I don't know your family. Maybe you grew up in an ideal family that was just perfect. And maybe you're thinking, nope, nope, my family's at the other extreme. But we need to take care of our families. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. We're going to sing an invitation song here in a minute. Let me tell you why we do that. We, We never know when God's word or the singing or us being together may 
spark something in your mind, may cause you to think of something. But here's what I want you to think of during the invitation. It's an opportunity for you to respond. You don't have to come down front. We'll have some of our shepherds in the back, and they'll take you somewhere in private and pray for you. It's an opportunity for you to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's an opportunity for you to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And it's an opportunity for you to join God's family. You see, God says family is so important. He created a new family that we have together, brothers and sisters in the Lord. And one of the things we do as brothers and sisters in the Lord is we pray for each other. And if you have any prayer requests, again, you don't have to come down front to do that. You can meet some of our shepherds in the back. You can call any of them. You can grab someone on your pew and say, hey, can, can you just pray for me right now? Why? Because we're family. And Jesus says family is important. Justin, during the communion talk, talked about family. We had a family meal here together, the Lord's Supper. We come together as a family to remember what Jesus has done, to remember what Jesus has said, those statements on the cross, because family is important. If you need to respond in any way, please do so as we stand and sing.